Welcome to the North Shore Podcast, a podcast about the lovely cities of the North Shore, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and history. My name is Pete, and I'm joined with my co-host, North Shore history legend, Arthur Miller. But before we start Arthur's art class, we have a sponsor for the show, Dakota Insurance Group. They've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Dakota Insurance handles all your residential and commercial needs. Get a quote now at dakotainsurancegroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is for our listeners to learn just a little bit more about the North Shore. Well, who better to teach us about North Shore history than our own North Shore history legend, Arthur Miller. Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands, and put them on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin. Hey, Art, how you been? What you got in store for us? Oh, I've been just great, and hope you're well, too. Yes? Oh, absolutely fantastic. We have the Lake Forest yeah. Scouts and Foresters in the playoffs. It's a great, it's a, it's a great North Shore Lake Forest uh, week ahead of, uh, of us, uh, Arthur. And the Lake Forest College football team isn't exactly chopped liver either. Hey, the Foresters, that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Scouts and Foresters, my friend. Foresters, right? They're all in the place. All part of the North Shore. You're right. What I was going to talk about today is the um, the railroad, something everybody takes uh, takes kind of for granted. The North Shore has developed uh, gradually, changed in, in just about every generation in significant ways. Um, there wasn't a lot of North Shore before the railroad. Um, there was at um, just at the south end of Fort Sheridan, north end of Highland Park, there was a little port called Port Clinton in the 1840s and so um, before the railroad came along that served that farm community that was farther west that's now Westlake Forest, sort of that area, <clears throat> good farm country. Um, it sort of dried up uh, after the train came through because in 18, by 1855, the train that had gotten to Evanston in 1851 uh, had gotten to Waukegan. And with that came a great deal more mobility for people and for their um, goods, their farm products that they brought in, bringing them the stuff that they needed, like lumber, to cut lumber and things to, to build houses and that sort of thing. So that was kind of a watershed. The first town, of course, was Evanston. Um, and, and many of these people that came to the North Shore were leaving Chicago, um, leaving Chicago behind. They'd had um, great houses and stuff, but Lake Forest was growing, but the city of Chicago was growing very rapidly, faster than um, it was possible really to keep up in terms of the, the, the original New Englanders. The New Englanders that arrived in 1830s and 40s, 15 minutes before the other groups, the Irish and the Germans particularly, they got all the real estate. Um, they owned everything. Um, they got rich. A lot of them got rich. Some of them didn't, um, but a lot of them got rich. And the ones that didn't were a little bit jealous of the ones that did. So um, if you didn't want people crawling all over your stuff or looking at your house and saying, how did he get so rich? You moved out to the suburbs. Uh, there were political reasons too, 
Um, the, the Protestants um, were very teetotaler types that came from New England, and they didn't want to go to get into trouble with the, um, let's say, Irish and German elements that like to drink over the issue of slavery. So they wanted to keep it an anti-slavery city so, or area, the northern Illinois, keep the whole state in anti-slavery territory. So they just moved out. So first, Evanston, 1851, started Northwestern University. Um, people moved out there, set that up. Um, then gradually they, they filled up, up the shore, but it took longer. They actually leapfrogged over after some speculators bought land along the way. And though there were some inns and things along the way, mostly the next, they leapfrogged up to um, Lake Forest. Uh, that started in 1857. Uh, they had staked out the territory starting in, in 1855, as soon as the train went through. Then organizing on Lake Forest Association in 1856. Um, they hired a guy late in 1856 to lay it out, who finished that in 1857. And they sold lots. And they were operating bef well before the Civil War. There was a good-sized town here before the Civil War in Lake Forest. Now, the other towns quickly came along also. Um, the land had been bought. Um, Walter Gurney was one of the major players in this. The source for all this information, the best information, is Michael Ebner's book, 1988, still perfectly good, um, Creating Chicago's North Shore, published by the University of Chicago. It's a thick book. I'm sure it's available in the out-of-print market and probably Knowing the University of Chicago Press, it's still available from them. It's just as good today as it was then. And um, everybody who's interested at all in the North Shore, you know, ought to be reading it. If you live here, you should know about it. Um, I watch the um, some of the Masterpiece Theater things on Sunday nights, and they have an ad that's going on now from the um, Viking Cruises people that they say, well, you know, that everybody should be curious about the world around them. They mean the world around their ships, you know, as they travel around. But actually, the same thing is really true for uh, where you live. It's much more interesting if you know about what's the background and what all did, what all happened where you lived before you did. It sort of sets up how you how your place is perceived, how it uh, functions, how it evolved and why its character is the way it is. So um, the, the people who came out from the city were pretty much idealistic. Um, after the Civil War, um, 1865, um, you had Lake Forest, you had Evanston, but you began to fill in the gaps in between with new, with new settlers because of the train. They, used, um, they built train stations. Lake Forest by 1865 was on its second railroad station already. The first one had been replaced. It was more of a very simple place. And they had a second station that lasted until about 1886, about 1886. Um, and the other community, and they were frame, wood frame station, not a brick station. Um, and so they, um, the towns all developed little railroad stations along there. People walked to the train often um, maybe wealthy people were driven, but probably they walked also. Even the wealthy people walked. It was just easier. And 
Um, right next to the Lake Forest train station, for instance, the one business that was there, continued to be there, was a shoe repair guy. So what were they weren't buying, they weren't replacing their tires, they were replacing their shoe leather. The, the train track ran close enough to the lake, by and large. On the upper North Shore, especially, this was true, so that as the um, water ran east from Green Bay Road toward the lake, that you could, they could put, they could build the track with just having culverts underneath it, not having to build bridges. Uh, we all hear about infrastructure bridges, the president's talking about it, everything, but they wanted to avoid, so they moved it far enough back from the, from the lake that they wouldn't have to build bridges, they could get by with culverts for the water to run under the tracks. Pretty much meant that the people that lived on the east side of the tracks, that was the more attractive territory toward the lake. It was irregular uh, north of North Waukee, uh, North, Winnet North Winnetka. It was very irregular. And so they had interesting places to put their houses. Further south, they could do more things with straight streets. Um, Evanston developed a good grid plan for its streets. Um, they had train stations that developed along there. Main Street had a train station. Um, Dempster had a train station, and the big ones were up further north were Davis Street and um, Central Avenue. Well, what happened was by the end, by the turn of the century, there was a lot of problems of people and trains coming into conflict um, at, at intersections. So people would get somehow stuck on the tracks, they'd get run over. Um, people would be making a fuss. A lot of people got killed at, at intersections. So the city of Chicago in 1893 had actually passed an ordinance saying that all these train tracks had to be elevated with bridges underneath them um, to avoid having these conflicts at those places. It was a life safety issue. Um, so there was a lot of expense. And then they started building new stations again um, this time, mostly in brick or concrete and solid materials, masonry. Um, and they built them all along the North Shore. Um, and Evanston had two-story stations at Main Street. Dempster, that one's gone now. Um, but Davis Street has two-story station. And Central Avenue, these are, I think they're pretty much the original stations. Uh, the one at Main Street may have been restored a little bit but they're mostly the original setups they had to get people upstairs um, safely, um, going, dating back to about the first decade of the 20th century, first, second decade. So the train stations um, were a major investment by the Chicago and Northwestern Railroad they made there. Um, the tracks continued elevated um, through Evanston, as I said, but then after that, they went down to ground level. They went through Winnetka at ground level or just slightly elevated. But then the interesting thing was in 19, about 1930 or early 30s, let's say during the 1930s, after Roosevelt was elected and they used a lot of infrastructure money, that was really the big infrastructure push was the 1930s. Um, the, the guy that was the Secretary of the Interior just happened to live in Winnetka, Illinois. His name was Harold Ickes. Uh, had a big house, and he thought, wouldn't it be nice if that nasty train track was below grade? So it was his hometown. He had all this money, federal money, 
that was being taken from um, the confiscatory level income taxes, 91% income tax maximum rate. Think of saving nine cents out of a dollar. <clears throat> so most people in the, were pretty unhappy with Franklin D. Roosevelt, you know, in that period, but not the people of Winnetka. They got their tracks all reduced down. They got a fancy new Hubbard Wood station, station at, at Winnetka stop. These was, this was the bee's knees. They had the best place in any of the suburbs with that track that was down below grade. So they didn't, you didn't see or hear the trains nearly as much. Otherwise the tracks, the trains went along and went on up through uh, Glencoe, nice station there. Beautiful station, kind of a rough stone station. Um, and then it goes on up into Highland Park. Um, the Lake Forest resident, um, residents uh, Frost and Granger, Charles Frost and Alpha Granger, they built a lot of these stations. There was one at um, Ravinia Station that they built out of wood. Fort Sheridan had a station. Highwood, Lake Forest, they all, all these towns got stations in that period. Um, after, you know, the 1880s, 1890s thing. So that was really the crux of how that all developed. Now, what's interesting is next is that in, 18, in the 1890s, they developed a parallel street railway system right along the North Shore tracks of the, right along the tracks of the Chicago and Northwestern called, um, it was an electric railway. Um, it, it didn't have a locomotive. It, it used wires above the tracks that connected so that electricity was used. Um, this was the beginning of centralized electric power, you know, and they had, they were running these things. The electric company eventually ended up owning that. Um, and so they ran these parallel tracks along them, along there. They had more stops. So like in Lake Forest, for instance, there's a stop. Before there were stops at Sacred Heart, which was where Barrow College used to be. Now it's Woodlands. There was a stop at um, what used to be called Farwell Crossing, kind of at, at um, Ryan Place. Then there was one for the Lake Forest Academy students, kind of just to the west of that, kind of by um, Frost Place near there, close. And then it went uptown. By 1907, there was a station built there for that electric railway, but it stopped there. Um, in the block south of the Northwestern Station. Then it went up to Scott Street and then up to Noble Avenue. So instead of having one stop in Lake Forest, which the Northwestern did, which was the express track, um, they had several stops. Now, this quickly sort of evolved into, was perceived as, developed as two-class system. Um, there was the first class for the estate people who came out here on the weekends and built houses, big houses, and they would go quickly through the suburbs, one stop at a time, maybe one stop in a town and get downtown in 45 minutes or an hour. Um, but then these other trains would putter along, it would take you longer, but you could get off at more places. So you could, you could go from say, downtown Evanston to another part of Evanston or just up into, into um, Wilmette or Winnetka. Um, Lake Forest people could go up to Waukegan to shop. It had a very, at that time, it had a very early 20th century, it had a very vibrant business district. Um, 
and they could go down into the city, connect with trains, and then go from other places with that. Um, so there was um, two, two different classes that developed. The, the street railway catered to people like the college students at Northwestern and Lake Forest, people who were in the support community, worked for the wealthier people, um, worked in stores that catered to the wealthier people, um, that sort of thing. Or increasingly, after that was built, completed in, in, by 1899 at Lake Forest, increasingly they were able to um, build houses close to the track for less wealthy commuters. So um, people could get on that train. And, and so as you drive, if you go in, if you go to the city now along the Northwestern track, uh, the Metro line, um, which is now owned by the Union Pacific, you see neighborhoods on both sides of the track. Uh, these neighborhoods developed in that early 20th century period. People could, you know, they could go to a stop maybe only a few blocks away from their house, go down to, to where there was a, a link up between the North, the, the, the electric railroad and the North Shore, um, I'm sorry, the um, Northwestern tracks. And then you could take that, you could get a faster train into the city. But the, um, the elevated tracks went up through, Ev through Evanston um, and that took care of a lot of people. And Evanston then quickly became a very densely populated part of the North Shore, apartment buildings all over it because of that, that track access. So people could live in apartment buildings. They didn't have to be wealthy with their own estate or anything like that. They could live in an apartment building and get on that track and go downtown on the um, Evanston Express and be at their office pretty conveniently and pretty inexpensively. As you went further north, places like Glencoe, um, Wilmette, uh, Winnetka, it wasn't all big rich people, fancy places. There were a lot of modest homes, um, middle-class homes that were built close to this inner urban um, electric railroad. And that, um, made the communities more diverse in economic character, sometimes racially. Evanston had an African-American population, Glencoe, Lake Forest, but um, much more just for, there was a lot of white collar people who the husband lived in, lived in one of those suburbs and then went downtown on the trains. So that developed a whole different kind of community. And that's why even in a community like Lake Forest that extends all the way out to the Illinois Tollway now, there's so much more density in the Eastern part of the community than in the Western part. Winnetka has less than four square miles. It's got 3.9 square miles. It has over 12,000 people living there. Lake Forest with 19,000 people. Is, 60, is over 16 square miles or four times as big. So its density is mostly only in the, in the area along that track area in the, um, in the eastern, far eastern part of Lake Forest. Western, West Lake Forest was developed much more, um, less densely. Now this is different than in the other suburbs as you go south. Um, along that train, there was a second interurban line that went through um, along what's now 41 um, on the right hand, on, I'm sorry, on the east side of that, there you'll see elevated tracks there that were for the um, electric railroad. And um, it would, 
it was it was called the Skokie Valley Branch, and it went down through that Skokie River Valley um, to to the city. So then other there were more little subdivisions developed along that. Um, some in Lake Forest, but more in Deerfield, um, down in Northbrook, um, Glenview, Skokie, that sort of thing. Those all developed as commuter suburbs. They weren't really the, the, the original North Shore. Only in Lake Forest was that included as part of that one lakefront community. Otherwise, they were one step back from the lakefront. So the North Shore used to refer to just the place that just the part of the property east those little communities that were east uh, close to the lakefront lake forest is the one exception with its larger area uh, most of the rest of them are pretty small so like glencoe is pretty small so we have um, a situation where these railroads really developed and um, shaped the form of the communities um, as it went by. The, um, the original railroad that went through in 1855 created the um, massive um, estates that were built. People lived there. They, they had money to be transported even to their, to their homes um, by um, people who met them at the train station, originally with uh, carriages or something, and later with, with motor cars. Um, and but in the in the other mostly in the communities that were further south, people either walked to the train, or largely they walked until the fifties. In the fifties, you had a little bit more explosion to the west because people were getting cars. Um, so West Winnetka, for instance, as you get over towards the Skokie Lagoons, that that developed a lot more in the fifties. Before that, people were. Um, east of Hubbard Wood, uh, Hubbard Road, and they were living, um, Hibbard, I'm sorry, Hibbard Road in Hubbard Woods, a little complicated, but I mean, they, um, but the communities did move westward as cars came in, uh, but they still remain North Shore communities, um, but the original North Shore was basically designed around the railroads, um, and each of those towns was a major, those lakefront towns, were major centers of um, communities with, with their own distinct characters. Um, Highland Park had more than one character. It had Ravinia, which was kind of a hippies, before they had the word term hippie, but back in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, the equivalent of hippies were living there. Um, artists and bohemians and that sort of thing. They had Ravinia Park, which developed after 1904, was built by the electric railroad people to get people to take the train. Um, so these, these different communities had different compositions. Um, also lots of um, neighborhoods from in Chicago that were Jewish or, or origin. They, they moved to Highland Park initially for summers, like led by Julius Rosenwald, the famous philanthropist and head of Sears Roebuck. Um, but others, lots of others, and they built a country club by 1912 in Glencoe, the Lakeshore Country Club. Uh, so Glencoe Highland Park became havens of, of a lot of Jewish people also, not entirely, but a lot of Jewish people. Um, otherwise, they tend to be um, often sort of combination um, Protestant, 
Republican slash conservative Republican slash uh, that sort of thing. And that's changed over the years that what used to be Republicans now, often the more liberal progressive Republicans, what used to be progressive Republicans today tend to be more moderate Democrats, you know, that sort of thing. So things shift around in their politics, but it was that core group of um, Protestants who'd originally left the city to get away from some of the lifestyle issues that they didn't want to confront people about. Um, they had set up their little family homes near their churches, um, no booze on Sunday, uh, no golf, no fun, um, just meditation, contemplation. And um, it's, you know, stayed much like that family centered. Churches are still very um, active and um, it's harder to not do things on Sunday given the sports community that you know, anybody who's got kids, Sunday is your worst day of the week. Because you, if you've got kids, you're going in every direction with those kids to for all their different activities on Sunday even. And it's becoming a big controversy for some communities. Um, but when are you gonna do it? I mean, the kids uh, wanna participate in the sports and so they do. So the North Shore has gradually evolved over time. The car made a big difference. Um, the North, the electric railway went toes up on the east side in 1955. Uh, by then, lots of people had more car, had cars. Gasped its last in the Skokie Valley uh, in January of 1963. Um, and the, there are two lines going through Lake Forest. The North Shore line is really the one that was the Chicago Northwestern. That was the, um, the line that's now the Metro North line. The Metro Northwest, or the, I think it's Northwest line, it's um, coming out of Union Station that goes through West Lake Forest. Only in Lake Forest is it still in the same lakefront community. Most of these are in Deerfield, Northbrook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down Skokie right. into the city. But um, so we're really talking about east of there when we're talking about the North Shore. So people in West Lake Forest, like I am now, um, and sometimes when they've got Deer Path Road torn up, I consider myself living in East Natawa. Um, we were stretching it to call ourselves North Shore. North Shore was mostly East of 41, I would say generally considered to be. <clears throat> so the trains defined that North Shore area um, by easy commuting distance from home to the train stations. Um, there were some outliers who had places um, that were farther out. They didn't want to be next to everybody else, but generally that was the, the character of the way things are. Much of the farther west developed after World War II, um, and that's another story. So, um, but for the North Shore, and especially for the eastern part of the North Shore, uh, the railroads started it and defined it again by the turn of the century up until the middle of the 20th century. Art, you've made me just a little bit smarter about the North Shore and the railroads. And the railroads. Yeah, they were critical. Art, th thank you so much again. You're welcome. Glad to do it.
Thanks for listening to the North Shore Podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Let us know what you like to hear about on the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete and can be reached at Pete at NorthShorePodcast.com. The link will be in the podcast notes. On behalf of my co-host, Arthur Miller, we thank you for listening to our class. Ring the bell, cue the band.